Hi there, welcome to the Raising Cinephiles podcast, a show about passing on your love of cinema to the next generation. I'm your host, Jessica Cantor, and I have worked in all facets of the entertainment industry for the last 20 years, and recently became a mom. Always remember that myself and guests are speaking from personal experience, not giving parenting advice. Today, we're welcoming Carrie Coon, to an incredible actress, currently on season two of The Gilded Age which I have been binging and I'm only a half an episode off to being on on time with the drops. Her body of work is so diverse that I almost don't recognize her across all of the different characters she plays, which is such an incredible feat. Thank you for being here, Carrie. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And I'll ask my first question. What is your first movie memory? Well, it's funny. I don't have a very good memory. But my cinematic education really began with my maternal grandparents who lived very close to us. Both sets of grandparents did, but my mother's parents had a hand in the raising of us. There were five kids in my family. Both of my parents worked full time. So they would often just come over and whisk us away to their home for a sleepover. And every time we slept over at my grandma and grandpa's house, we would watch a movie because my my grandfather's father owned a movie house called the Orpheum in Akron, Ohio. And so he was a projectionist and a curator of that cinema. And so my grandfather was really movie obsessed and also had been, you know, a community theater actor after the war and had done some entertaining in his, you know, in Arles in France during the war. They, they saw a theater manager on his little punch ticket, you know, in the, the sort of rudimentary computer system. And they thought that meant he was a host of, a theater when in fact it meant he just worked in a movie theater. And so they put him in charge of like hosting Bobby Breen and, and Mickey Rooney and all these guys who came through the theater to entertain the troops. So he became the sort of de facto MC of this theater anyhow. So he always showed us old movies. And I think one of my earliest memories of watching a movie at their house, I'm sure we had ice cream and Coca-Cola and, and we were watching the Philadelphia story. Oh, wow. He was a big Catherine Hepburn fan. And he just loves when she socks him in the face. And I wa- and my grandfather was watching me, watching my reaction to that moment because he wanted to see, you know, see my reaction to yeah. Catherine Hepburn socking him in the jaw. Um, and so he, he really, I came up on really old, mostly old black and white films because of my grandparents. Do you remember around how old you were when you watched, watched that? It must have been, I mean, I could have been as young as, seven or eight maybe it might have been one I saw older but all those movie memories are kind of smooshed together in this you know range yeah my grandmother was a big I think she did some similar she doesn't have a, a, a movie background like that but I definitely watch a lot of Fred Astaire and Gene Kelly. Mm-hmm. She really loved that stuff. I, I like to ask the makeup of your family growing up because I think it really changes kind of what you have access to in terms yes. of movies. Do you have siblings? I grew up in a town called Copley, Ohio. My father's family has been in Copley, Ohio since the early 1800s. Oh, wow. And my parents, once my mother moved to the area from, I believe, somewhere in Pennsylvania when she was in fourth grade, my parents lived less than a mile away from each other. And basically my whole life growing up, both sets of my grandparents lived within a mile of each other and within a mile of us. My parents were sort of sweethearts in those early days, except my father went off to become 
a Catholic priest. So he went to Borromeo Seminary in Cleveland, but he'd come home in the summer and my mom would make out with him and flirt with him and stuff. And uh, she had all these boyfriends. She was a cheerleader and, you know, very popular girl. And um, eventually my dad came home to really consider whether he was going to be ordained. And my parents went out to dinner, even though my mom had a boyfriend, a long-term, very serious boyfriend who was about to propose to her. And my parents basically got engaged. And had this terrible, hilarious, cheap wedding at the local church where I grew up. You know, I grew up in the Catholic church there. So um, my family was lived really close together. So a lot of my aunts and uncles were also nearby. And there were five siblings in my family. I'm the middle, the dead middle of five. I have okay. an older brother who's a couple years older than me. But they adopted my sister when she was the same age as my brother. She's actually a month older than my brother. And I was about three years old. They adopted my sister from El Salvador. That was, of course, in the middle of the Civil War down there that we you know, had a, had quite a hand in. And my parents had been inspired by a local family named the Kennedys who'd been uh, adopting children for a long time. And they were thought of themselves as good Christian people, though my mom was not a practicing religious person, even though my father almost became a priest. And so they adopted my sister. And then, so there was like a set of three and then seven years went by and they had my brother and then two more years and they had another brother. So there were five of us, but you know, okay. I was the perfect age for babysitting. So yeah. <laughs> I just babysat every weekend and yeah. you know, my family lived really close by. So babysitting, I think is a moment when you tend to watch movies. Cause I know when I babysat, I would get free access to the television and I discovered so many things. And I was like 11 and 12 years old. Um, I don't have younger siblings, but I did babysit for like neighbors and stuff. Mm -hmm. Did, did, was the, did you spend your babysitting time watching movies and television? I mean, of course, I came up in the generation where, yes, we watched Saturday morning cartoons and we watched all the crappy TV that was on. My my brother and sister always watched General Hospital after school. So we were certainly steeped in TV culture. But I remember just like there are films I know from when my brothers were young, like The Little Mermaid and The mm -hmm. Lion King. And, you know, they watched Barney, which is a show, you know, that I didn't grow up with necessarily. So there are certain Disney movies where I know all of the lyrics to all of the songs. It's just embedded in my body because of babysitting. So I didn't watch anything cool with them. I mean, I, I mean, some people think that stuff is really cool, but it's just so repetitive when you're babysitting because kids like the same things. Yeah. And I was never really like, you know, I was never in charge of the TV. Oh, I mean, I took my bath at 2 a.m. just so I could be alone. You know? <laughs> there was one bathroom in the house, you know, it's like there was yeah. no privacy and no control over any medium. So, yeah. Did your older siblings introduce you to anything maybe you were developmentally ready for? That's funny. I um, I mean, I'm sure I was exposed to pornography because my brother's banned for the first time, <laughs> but it's sort of inappropriate. No, it really was. I mean, it really fell to my grandparents to expose us to any kind of film. And I think all of us had that same cinematic education. Okay. So if we were watching a movie, it's because we were at my grandparents' house. We didn't okay. go out to the movies. We didn't go anywhere. My my parents weren't going to schlep five kids anywhere. Yeah. We didn't I go mean, out to dinner. Who would? <laughs> yeah, no, it's a nightmare. And they were, you know, they worked a lot. They were, they were, they were great. They kept a good, clean house and they're really kind and smart people, but they had to work, you know? And so yeah, it was really going to my grandparents' house, I will always associate with popcorn and ice cream and soda pop and movies. Yeah. That's great memories. And also, you know, my grandfather kept up with cinema. So he also, we would see like, um, you know, the big night. I saw the big night at their house. Yeah. And there's a eat, is, what is it? Eat, pray, man, woman or something. I can't, it's a foreign film that came out 
I don't know, in the nineties that my grandparents really loved. So I even saw foreign films at their house and they're just like Midwestern people in Ohio, but they had an appetite for that kind of exposure, which I'm, I'm really grateful for because I don't, I wouldn't have had it otherwise. Was there a moment that, because having grown up, as you said, away from the industry, that you realized you wanted to work in it? That I mean, I'm going to rephrase that because there's two parts of this question. When did you realize you could work in the industry, like be on screen? And then the second is what inspired you to actually go for it? Mm. I can honestly say that growing up where I grew up, I never, ever dared imagine I would be on in TV and film. Mm-hmm. It never occurred to me even to study it. I never would have done it without some influences later in my life. However, I did go to a play at the Akron Civic Theater, which is an atmospheric theater. So it's when you look up and you see the moving clouds and the stars, mm-hmm. beautiful old theater. And I went to that play with my friend, Laura Gumas. We were 10 years old and her parents brought me along to the holiday production of Babes in Toyland. And I saw that on stage were kids my age. And I was intrigued, of course, by my parents will tell you, they always (laughs) thought I'd be some kind of performer. I have a very different, you know, um, idea of what I was like as a child. I I think I thought it was so quiet and I was such an observer. And they're like, no, you were loud and bossy, (laughs) annoying. Um, And I thought, oh my gosh, those are, those kids are my age. How come they're allowed to do that? And I came home and I looked in the newspaper and there's a community theater called the Weather Vane. And as it happens, my my grandfather had actually acted at the Weather Vane uh, after the war. That was the community theater where he did a couple yeah. of plays, the Hasty Hard and some other things. So he dabbled a little bit. And I thought, oh, I could audition for a play. And I, my mother denies this story. She'll always deny it. I said, I, I took it to her and I said, look, they're having auditions, you know. And she was like, you're not doing that. <laughs> so, she wasn't going to drive us anywhere, you know. So that was the first time I had the inkling that there was a possibility of even being an actor. But it wasn't until, you know, I went on to have a mentor in college who said, I think you could go to graduate school for acting. I didn't know about Juilliard and NYU or any of that stuff. I didn't even know you could go study it and get your master's. It never occurred to me. I ended up at UW-Madison in Wisconsin. And there I had one mentor, Norma Saldivar, who was a great director in the program. And she said, you're going to work in TV and film. And at that point, I mean, I was doing regional theater in Wisconsin. I did not see a path from Shakespeare in 1100 seat Shakespeare theater, you know, American players theater in Spring Green, Wisconsin to TV and film. It seemed very far from me at the time, but I got a Chicago based agent and I started auditioning for commercials and then it became a little bit more possible, but I didn't really dare, you know, think it was possible then that like I'm a Midwesterner, you know, humility is our, (laughs) and maybe like self-flagellation and self-loathing and stoicism, right? Those are the, those are the ways we distinguish ourselves as being from the Midwest. And so, you know, I wouldn't have ever said it out loud. Yeah. Um, so I want to pull a little bit of a string from from earlier. I feel like Catherine Hepburn and that and the film that you mentioned seems like very similar to your character on Gilded Age. And I'm curious if that's one of your inspirations in building the character, or you know, if there's if if I'm making a proper parallel there. That's so funny. That's never, that thought has never occurred to me, but I loved Catherine Hepburn and I loved the portrayals of these strong women with deep voices who could wear pants. Um, I had a, I had a, I had a level of androgyny growing up. I, I looked like a boy really until I was about 18. So I was always kicked out of the ladies room 
but I, but I love, they were like, are you supposed to be in here? But I, I, but it afforded me a, a level of protection at that age from certain mm-hmm. energy that I think actually was very formative. And so I think I always responded to that kind of woman mm-hmm. who maybe has, is a little bit masculine. Um, yeah. And so I think it's interesting that you you make that. I, I mean, and I think of myself also as decidedly middle class. I mean, there's nothing about me that would play erudition. And yet I often get cast, I think, because of whatever my voice or being articulate or something. I often get cast as people who are of a higher class than me as opposed to working class, which I consider myself to be very working class. But yeah. here I am playing Bertha Russell. But I love that you um, that you made that connection because it's not, not something I've really thought about before. It's but something it in, her, in her body language. Mm. The way she, like when you said Catherine Hepburn and you like pulled back <laughs> and like, and that's like, that's kind of how I saw her or see that character on yeah. television. Oh, no, that's great. I think that's really yeah. interesting. There's something to be unpacked in there. I yeah. mean, those women stand up straight, you know, I don't come from a generation that stands up straight. <laughs> she stands up straight. I think the image I had is I went out to dinner last night and I ambitiously put on episode three of season two. I think it was in episode three, season two, but like, I was like kind of dozing off because I was so tired and I just like Bertha was confronting her husband for being naked with the maid. And that scene that was like, that's what connected it for me was that scene. So maybe she was the inspiration. I'm sad. My grandfather just passed away actually about a month ago and uh, he would have been delighted, I think. If I told him that, you know, what was observed in a performance was Catherine Hepburn. He always, he always imagined me like, oh, gosh, I can't think of the name of the, oh, she's a, you know, um, what's his face's wife? Oh, this is the plight of being a mother, right? I can't yes. think of can't I can't any proper nouns. It's because we're tired. Uh, That's what happens with yes, the because we're tired. We're basically walking around asleep. Yes. Um, oh, gosh. You know, he was an alcoholic. I need a little bit more. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. More than just the man who did that. Um, you know, he's a famous drunk. <laughs> Hang yeah. on. Um, I have to think of this because my grandma, anyway, I, I probably won't think of it because we're, uh, you know, we, we have a limited amount of time, but I'll yeah. think of it. Can I ask how old your children are? You may. Yeah. I have a two-year-old daughter. Okay. And a oh. five and a half year old son who loves movies. So I have a two year old, or almost. He turns two on December sixth, which is mm-hmm. the day I'm releasing this. So it'll be his birthday when oh, people hear this. Um, for his second birthday, after you know thirty episodes of this, I um, decided to get a print of the red balloon and do a movie theater birthday party for him. Beautiful. It'll be his first time in a movie theater. Oh, that's great. Um, so in, in saying that, like what two and five-year-old, have they been in a movie theater yet? Oh, no. You know, they're pandemic kids. Yeah. That may have been possible before, but they haven't really had that experience yet. But my husband is a cinephile and we okay. have over 10,000 Blu-rays and DVDs, which we moved from Chicago to New York. Oh, wow. So my husband is one of those guys who's surfing the latest, you know, imprint we just, I just opened a box with the last picture show in it. So there must have been a new release of the last picture show. <laughs> so my husband is, was incredibly, was going to be incredibly specific about how he exposed our children to film. Yes. So we had, a, we had basically a theater in our house in Chicago. And when we moved to New York, he basically had to build a theater in New York before he could properly live in the house that we bought. 
So what, so basically Haskell's growing up, you know, in the home movie theater with homemade mm-hmm. popcorn watching film, but he was only allowed at first to see silent films. So because the pandemic, we, we were kind of no screens parents, you know, with our first kid. And then the pandemic hit and the only way they could talk to their grandparents was on FaceTime or have a music class. So they started kind of tiptoe into screens. And so we let him watch orchestras and we let him watch dances, you know, like cultural things he couldn't get exposed to during the pandemic. And then he started watching um, Charlie Chaplin which is great for kids because, you know, silent film stars are so expressive and he really loved music. He'd been watching some old, you know, videos of like jazz musicians playing and stuff like that as well. So he was first allowed to watch real performance, I guess, then silent film. And then when my husband decided to open up his, you know, experience, he said he could only watch things that were handmade. So then he was allowed to watch puppets, claymation, you know, Wallace and Gromit. There's an old Czech film on the Criterion Collection called Invention for Destruction, which is very early animation from 1955. He let him watch that. Adult themes, that didn't seem to bother him. And so that was kind of the rule for a long time. Now we've since opened it up. He's seen some Disney films he's seen, but he always returns, honestly, to the 1960s Godzilla universe. That's his real passion right now. Okay. Um, he, because those are technically puppets, they're men in a suit with a zipper. Um, he was allowed to start watching them and he watches them in Japanese. He doesn't have a lot of friends (laughs) because no one wants to talk about, you know, Ishiro Hondo was, um, is it scary that Godzilla, not for him, but my, my son, there's something going on where he's not scared of things. Other kids are scared of. And I don't know if there's something, you know, he's a really, he's got a very gifted auditory memory. He has an astonishing, like he'll listen, he'll hear a book once and he'll already have it memorized. And then six months later, if you read the book, he'll correct you. So something's going on with his memory. There's something, it's not exactly that he's entirely on the spectrum, but I do feel like there was something about storytelling where he didn't really respond to mortal danger. (laughs) But every now and then a monster will be sort of provocative for him. But it's he's never that your... he's watching Dracula now, and oh, wow. he's, he's watching the old, um, not the Hammer films, but the um, the other ones. Yeah, he has uh, your. He like got the memory you lost. From yes, oh, he ate it. You're right. He absorbed my memory because they're zombies. They're yeah. zombie parasites. Yes. So yes. Now he's memorized, you know, Wolfman with Lon Chaney, and I can't memorize a paragraph for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, I I notice my son gets like upset. Like I, we've been really into the Winnie the Pooh universe. Yeah, that's that's a great um, one. He loves that one too. And um, he like the first time he saw like Tigger try to make Don uh, Eeyore Tigger, he got very upset about it. It made me fast forward through the song because he was oh my like, gosh. "Eeyore said no." You know, I guess I, I guess what with firm boundaries. Weren't you proud? I was really proud. Then he got into it later, so it didn't hold up. But but it's so interesting, like. To watch, and I put, you know, somebody when, when for a, a gift when he was born, got some T-shirts that were toddler size, that mm-hmm. were band T-shirts, mm-hmm. and he yeah. started to have an opinion on what he puts on his body. <laughs> yeah. And so I say this one or this one, but this one means this song, and I play the music. I'm like, this one means <laughs> this song, and I play the music. Which song do you like more? You know, and he picks his shirt. Right, that's um, great. Maybe yeah, I but I, it's so. That's a beautiful way to introduce your older son to cinema. Your young, your younger son or daughter. Daughter. 
daughter is yeah. she kind of just watching along or now she is yeah we've sort of given in you know they actually started watching the adaptations of she loves the book the gruffalo okay. do you know these books they're, they're british books they're beautiful i don't oh they're really lovely and there's a beautiful animated short that goes along with them now that, that was put out by the bbc i think that's on apple okay. tv now but it's gruffalo and room on the broom and it's this marvelous um uh english writer whose name i I've just read it a hundred times and I can't tell you what it is right now. That's yeah, okay. It's Mom, enough right? for me to Google. Um, Axel Scheffler <laughs> is the illustrator though. Um, Julia Donaldson. Okay. And they just did these two beautiful shorts of Room on the Broom and the Gruffalo. And they're, they're, they're gorgeously scored actually. So I think mm. my kids really love the music and this, the books themselves are rhyming, which, you know, kids tend to really enjoy. And she's totally obsessed with them. And she's memorized. I can hear that she's starting to memorize the books. She's much yeah. more kinetic than my son. She's much less inclined to sit still. She was yeah. a very, she was much later um, when it came, he was obsessed with books and started speaking at 16 months. She couldn't sit still for a book until, you know, nearly two. And now she loves books, but they're just such different kids. So yeah, yeah. she pops in for, you know, 15 minutes of prehistoric planet. <laughs> and then she has to run around and yeah. take a lap. So it'll be interesting to see. She's my athlete yeah. and has to be my, you know, my cinephile. My son is somewhere in between. Mm. Like he'll come in because he got, he's pretty articulate. And, you know, he's almost two and he will come in and jump on my bed and he loves being on my bed. And he's like, <laughs> movie and cuddles. Yeah. Movie and cuddles. There's nothing and I'm like, I'm like oh, that is my son. That is him. Um, and he'll watch some movies. He'll get into it and like get absorbed by the story. And he loves books, but he has to get up and dance and move. Yeah. He's really, really into music. I like mm-hmm. definitely think he's going to be a, a musician of some sort, whether it's for himself or for the world. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it'll be some time, but yeah. Um, it's, it's really funny to watch their personalities come to life. They're so different. I mean, it's a yeah. wild thing to see like in all the practice you did with one just never applies to the other one. They, <laughs> they have nothing to do with one another. Yeah, that's <laughs> sort of why I'm probably not going to have another one. <laughs> Fair enough. You know, it's fun, but it is wild. It's, it's crazy. It's a lot. They outnumber you. Two children outnumber two adults. That's yeah, just the well, I'm a is. single mom by choice. So we're uh-huh. I know a lot of women doing that now in New York, and I can't yeah. imagine it. Honestly, it seems really challenging. But they're all really extraordinary women, and and they build extraordinary communities around them. And that's the fun thing too is that you'll get to have your movie person and your, <laughs> your yeah. dance person and your theater person, and you get to choose. Yes, and you I get to make fun. all the decisions. Yes, you do. <laughs> so, you know, I have yeah. to say the the hardest part about being a single mom, a single parent, I'm sure other, whether, they, however they got to this position yeah. is the happy moments are the loneliest. That's, oh, which was, I haven't heard that expressed, but that makes so much sense. That is like the, it was so surprising because that's not what you'd expect, you know? Um, Cause it's really like when you're in it in like a, a moment with your kid, you're just so focused, yes. you know, that yeah. whether someone's there or not, like whatever, you're just going to solve this problem for them. Right. But, you know, in the happy moments, you're like, oh, who saw that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a really beautiful, bittersweet and heartbreaking thing to say. And I feel like it gives me like an entree into an extra special level of compassion for my friends who are, who are doing that. I think that's really, thank you for sharing that with me. You're welcome. Um, so we're at 25 minutes. So I'm going to ask you my last question, which is 
if I were to show my son, and again, at any age, so he could be a teenager at this point, a movie to fall in love with cinema, what movie do you recommend? Oh, to fall in love with cinema. It's funny because there are, you know, there are movies you think of that would be instructive or breathtaking or just really moving. But what would, what would make him fall in love? This is so funny because in my household, my husband and I have an arrangement in our marriage, which is I don't choose anything that we watch. <laughs> it doesn't matter what a TV film. I don't have any opinion. I go downstairs at night and he puts on what we're watching and I don't, I don't ever weigh in. And so it's, I haven't thought about this very much because he's so in charge of that part of our children's lives. Yeah. But I'm trying to think of something that for me would have been so informative. One of, I, I can give a very personal answer, I think. So, I mean, what you'd expect, my <laughs> opinion. Um, I, I still remember watching the movie Cinema Paradiso with my grandparents. It's yeah. a great foreign film, right? A little boy is at the center of that story. It has lushness and it has romance and it has, it's, it's love. And it's also sort of the, uh, the coming of age story in that, that sort of um, um, someone processing a world that's an adult world that they're finally yeah. starting to understand or beginning to know what they don't know. Yeah. And I just, I have such a fondness for that movie because it's a movie that my grandfather would always put on if I was having a friend over. So we have a friend come spend the night. He always wanted to see my high school friends watch Cinema Paradiso. Oh, I love that. And because he thought it was, it would open something like open. It's it's nice access to foreign films. I think it's really accessible foreign film. And he'd always have a box of tissues because he knew all the girls would cry. And he just delighted in making all these women cry (laughs) and young men too. But you know, yeah, you know, something funny happens on this Mm -hmm. podcast because I don't like, you know, I'll record in a bundle and then like, and I happen to have a recording just before this mm-hmm. with an episode I'm putting out next week, which is kind of stressful, but <laughs> she is an Ethiopian born filmmaker mm-hmm. called Galila Bekele. She does a documentary coming out uh, about Tyler Perry today. Oh, and that was her same recommendation. <gasps> it was? Yeah. Oh my gosh, I want to meet her. She's yeah. she's doing a documentary on my friend Tyler Perry, who I did Gone Girl with. Really? So she the documentary is beautiful. It's out on Amazon Prime. Oh, I watched it. It was beautifully made. She I guess she was his partner for a moment. They share a son together. Oh, that's his son's mother. I see. Yes. Oh beautiful. Um, yeah, it was a bit beautiful, but I just it's like something that's happens true. where it's like a it, in the you know mm-hmm. the zeitgeist or something. Yeah. So or just like you know, I don't know, the fabric of the universe, yeah. something. Um, so, yeah. That's lovely. It was really, it's, I, I love it when things like that happen. Synchronicity. Yes. I, um, I, I thought perhaps we were going to end up talking about Ghostbusters naturally mm-hmm. because it's come up on this podcast so many times as a movie. Uh. You know, the, like, you know, I think we're off the same, I think we might be the same age of the same generation. So, mm-hmm. like... You know, we have these memories of watching a movie that's scary and funny and it's weird yes. to have both. On TV all the time. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm excited for, for the next one coming in March, even though there's some time. Is um I mean the question is whether your children have dressed up as Ghostbusters yet. They haven't seen or, it yet. They haven't seen any of them. They haven't seen really any of our work yet. Nor okay. do they care what we do. There's like you're working to work. <laughs> Where are you going? <laughs> yeah. 
definitely someday they will. He always has no idea. He doesn't yeah. care. No, He's no. just like, you're, you're going to step away from me? <laughs> yes. Insulted. How dare you? <laughs> How dare you? Yeah. Um, Carrie, good. thank you so much. This is my such pleasure. a wonderful conversation. If you enjoyed the conversation, please don't forget to like and subscribe. New episodes release every Wednesday. And leave a comment and let me know which movie you think I should show my son. Until next time, take care.